0: As we're
1: signing this lease, he says to us, there's those offices that we have in the building. Whatever you do, just don't take down those offices. And we said, okay. We signed a seven-year lease for more mm-hmm. money than either of us were worth at the time. <laughs> we got in my car. We drove five miles to the location. Got a sawzall on my trunk. Walked into the place. I looked at Otto at these these nice offices, and I said, to victory or to death. <laughs> and we just... took down those offices right then and there. Like 20 minutes after he told us not to. (laughs)
2: Welcome back to the Tap Takeover Podcast, powered by Shepherd Express. This week we got a treat. We are talking about Ale Asylum. And I did not make the trip. You guys want to tell me a little bit about it?
3: Well, it was a fantastic time sitting down with three of the head people at Ale Asylum in Madison, Wisconsin.
4: We sat down with the three co-founders <laughs> of Ale Asylum. Dean, the brewmaster, Hathaway Dilba, the director of promotions, and a special guest who popped in later on, Otto Uh, that really the director of marketing and the other the other co-founder
3: yeah so stay tuned for the second part of the interview so you can hear otto and his take on the entire thing but uh, for the very first portion we're talking with hathaway and dean uh andy what sort of impressions do you come away with
0: i came uh, i came back impressed just from how intelligent they were honestly from their uh, marketing scheme that actually went into the awesome name and marketing brand they've created for themselves but also the, the ridiculously good beer
4: is also their passion too i mean they really came across how passionate they are about their beer and how true to style that they want to make their beers uh, dean as we get into the interview uh jesus you'll uh, i'm sure you'll find this interesting uh, dean's a beer nazi a, a style Nazi, I think he likes to this. call
3: himself. <laughs> he, he likes to adhere very strictly to the style guidelines. And, you know, it, he's taken on a very regimented approach because of that. Uh, so we should mention that we're doing a little live tasting of the uh, the Baltic Porter. You guys are going to hear uh, Dean and, and Hathaway talk about this one on the episode. But this was a collaboration. Jesus, you've got the can in front of you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it?
2: Well, actually, I was going to ask you because <laughs> I had never heard of this before. Jim brought it. Yeah. So and, uh, Common, common Threat to Collaboration. And I just saw the... Wisconsin Brewers Guild logo, and can you tell us a little bit about yeah, this?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, this year, Ailes Island played a major part in the Common Thread. Common Thread is in beer annually brewed by the wisconsin brewer's guild so this year i believe they had about 40 brewers come together down at ale asylum and brew it obviously you get 40 cooks in the uh, kitchen you're gonna have a a lot of fun apparently from dean they just put as many malts in this and as many different malts as they possibly could and it turned out delicious so a little bit on the style it's a baltic porter so this is generally an imperial porter style that is made with lager yeast so it's not lagered as cold as it lager is but is generally lagered at lower temperature
2: and where's this beer available
4: so you can find this at your uh better craft beer st- stores uh, right now as we talk here in early september
2: excellent very good
3: Awesome. So, Jesus, any uh, any questions from you on uh, what we heard? I mean, we're going to get into the the interview uh, shortly.
2: Yeah, I guess the what I really think of Ale Asylum is the branding. I think they really have cool logos, cool packaging. Did you guys touch on that stuff? Yeah, you said you said you definitely said you did.
0: did. Right? He's a marketing genius. That's what they both did before they actually came together with Dean and started the brewery.
2: Yeah, of course you got to get somebody's like you know eyes on the prize, as they say, or whatever. But you got to get their eyes on the shelves and attracted to your packaging. And I just think they're is, like, really up there. You know, you start seeing, you know, Carbon Force starts doing this. Of course, Three Floyds has really cool stuff, and theirs is up there. I think it's really neat.
3: Yeah, we got to talk about uh, one of their newest beers, uh, which is the Dr. Venom. Uh, it's the the new IPA in their uh, rotational IPA series. And we got to talk about, uh, actually, it was some funny stories that Hathaway told us about how she, she was a little surprised to find that it was actually... Uh, what was it, men that were offended by the, uh, by the woman on the packaging who was, you know, a little sexy, a little um, <laughs> a little risque. No, she would have thought that it would be <laughs> women that were offended, but it was actually men who were like, hey, that's a little out there. So we, we got some fun stories out of, uh, out of the packaging and, and the, uh, the branding. And it was really nice to sit down with Otto and talk about his kind of vision for some of that branding as well.
2: And then I guess the other thing I know you guys probably touched on in the interview, the, uh, the relocation. From the carbon four space to their new space
4: yeah we talked quite a bit about their history um the struggles they went through early on uh, the struggles even creating that space uh, because it was not ready for them to have a brewery and then of course their transition to their new facility
2: all right i think we just got to hear from the horse's mouth now so let's get into part one of this episode and uh, we'll be right back with beer news
3: Welcome back to the Tap
2: Takeover Podcast Brewery
3: Interview Series. I'm Alex and I'm joined by Andy and Jim tonight and we've taken the show on the road again today to Madison, Wisconsin. Today we're sitting down at Ale Asylum Brewing Company in Madison, joined by co-founder and director of promotions Hathaway Dilba and brewmaster Dean Coffee. Ale Asylum began brewing in Madison in, in the location which now houses fellow brewers Carbon 4. It didn't take long before the founders at Ale Asylum began their long, slow descent into madness, brewing bigger, bolder beers minus the edge. And finally, moving into the spacious space where we now sit. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Cheers. That was a very nice introduction. (laughs) Minus the adjuncts. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, so uh,
1: how are you guys doing tonight? What's new at the brewery? Oh, there's always so much new at the brewery. The brewery is always growing and changing.
5: Well, we just released our Octillion Oktoberfest. This is the second year we've had it out. It is our second packaged logger. We're not logger asylum. We are ale asylum for a reason. But the market dictates that loggers are gaining a little bit of traction in the market. So we're excited about it. We're really excited about this version.
1: Yeah, and I got to interject. When Otto and I were trying to figure out the name of this brewery and he came to me with the idea of Ale Asylum. I said, Otto, someday I'm gonna want to brew some lagers. And he said, who cares, do you like the name? <laughs> it's true, true story.
5: We actually had some customers speak up in social media and say, are you becoming Logger Asylum? Because we do do a Pilsner, and we've done some Doppelbock. off-package draft-only beer, yeah, yeah.
1: Doppelbock, Maybach, yeah.
3: Yeah, it is a great name, and it, and it lends itself to you know being able to call uh, the folks who come in here and drink, you know, the inmates right. at the Ale Asylum. <laughs> so oh, where did that really come come from? Was it just a, a spur of the moment kind of kind of name out of a hand?
1: <laughs> Honest to God, Otto and I were trying to figure out the name for this for months. And so for months, we would walk up to each other and say, blah, 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 brewing company, blah, 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 brewing company. and then months into this, he walks up to me and says, Ale Asylum. And I was like, wow, it's refreshing, it's different, and it has different ways you can interpret it. I like it, except I want to brew lagers. <laughs> and Otto's a
5: smart dude. He actually went to college. He's very right and <laughs> left brain. Went to went college. To college. I, I kind of paused in a bad spot right now. You wouldn't believe it if you met him. Right? But he was poised to be an actuary so he's super smarty pants. And then he ended up going into communications and that's where he and I met at an advertising agency. So he's got that perfect amalgamation of creativity and also smarty pants sense. And so he was thinking, not only is this a creative name and we've got a lot of branding that we can play with here, but also, Ale Asylum will likely be in the top one to three things listed alphabetically on a beer list. So good thinking, <laughs> right? huh? Yeah. A's huh? come
4: first. So let's yep. get a little bit into the genesis of Ale Asylum. So you guys were working at Angelic That's uh, prior to here. So yep. tell us, how did this really all come together?
1: Um, we were working for the Angelic, which is a little tiny group in downtown Madison. I was frustrated because I felt like the beer that we were making could do well in the market not just in this tiny little brew pub. So I started formulating a plan to move on. I met, I I realized my hole in my plan was marketing. And I did not want to learn how to market. That's not my talent. And one day I was talking to Otto, we were at the bar and we were just talking smack. And there's a TV above the bar and a commercial came on the TV. And I was trying to talk to him and he put his hand up, like shut up for a minute, I wanna listen to this. (laughs) And I was like, he's such a dork about marketing. If he wants to see the commercial. This is the guy I've been looking for. Yeah, this is this is my future partners. Yeah, we partnered up and broke away from the Angelic and built the Asylum.
0: So, did any uh, beers from the Angelic days transition over to the Asylum?
1: You know, because I was going from one brewery to another, I consciously tried. To, I changed the recipes, I changed the ingredients, and I even changed the techniques how we brewed it. But to be honest with you, they still had my fingerprints all over them. So they are definitely the evolution of the beers I was making at the Angelic. Does that make sense?
5: Yes, it does completely. It's really neat. We have people walking in here with angelic gear on from time to time, they'll <laughs> reminisce about the beers that he made there. Believers Bitter was a cult favorite. Bachno Blonde. Yeah. yeah. How
3: how did you guys get introduced to craft brewing in the first place? You know, back in the day, most people drank Mike Macro. You know, I drank a lot of Macro in my college days. What's uh, what sort of stuff were you guys drinking that made you think we need to be in the in the craft brewing business?
1: When I was growing up, and I took to drinking beer like a duck takes to water, a block from my house was the f- one of the first Trader Joe's in California. And when I was a kid, and I probably shouldn't admit this on radio, but when I was a kid, when you wanted to drink beer, what you'd do is stand outside of a liquor store and wait for someone to walk in and say, Hey, I forgot my ID and that jerk in there won't let me buy a six-pack. If I give you money, will you get, you get a six-pack for me. And so I would start doing that outside of Trader Joe's. And the guys who come out would give me imported beer. And I realized in high school, and this is in the, you know, the early 80s, that imported beer with, had way more flavor than the macro beers. So by the time I got to college, I was all over anything except macro beer.
3: So you never really had the macro period in your life. That's, I mean,
1: that's freshman cool. to sophomore in high school. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah how about you, Hathaway? What's, uh, what kind of stuff were you drinking?
5: I, uh, I was a scotch drinker my whole, I'm like a little old lady in a teenager's body, drank <laughs> I drank I scotch um, most of my later years in high school. And then also uh, when I got to college, I would drink scotch and water. And I had a friend that worked at a, a restaurant here called Portobello that was starting to grow a craft beer list. And he turned me on to Watney's Cream Stout. That was Good stuff, first, remember that? Yeah, yeah, it would stain your clothes. You get a drop-on,
0: too bad. <laughs> um, but
5: it, it was a fantastic beer, and it had such a rich, meaty mouthfeel, and I just loved it. I thought it was just the bee's knees, and I still drink one once in a while just to remember it.
4: So you guys have had tremendous growth over the years. Uh, you're 11 years old, which is kind of middle age for craft brewers, <laughs> but you've really grown over that time. How have you managed the growth of the company and what's the experience been like to witness that growth?
5: Tight reigns we <laughs> yeah. had tight reins. Yeah. Uh, when we were younger and in our previous space, we had a lot of really fun and exciting opportunities laying in our laps. Like, oh, we want to put you in in Miami, Florida, or we want to export you out to Japan or whatever and you hear all these things as a young brewery and you get so excited but we kept things slow and low.
1: Yeah we, we definitely try to do a controlled slow expansion. Um, it hasn't always been because demand is demand. When people are knocking on your door and they want to buy your beer you really feel an obligation to make beer for them. The growth has been pretty it's been pretty fast and pretty hard. Sometimes uncomfortably so mm-hmm. I, I'd have to admit.
5: People always ask us when we're going to knock out the south wall and, and grow to the potential of this land, which if if we choose, or if we're able to, we can expand across the acreage a little bit. And I always say, I hope not anytime soon.
0: So what's (laughs) what's your current capacity right now?
5: About 45 to 50, depending on the space back there. Yes.
1: If we max out this space, we could probably crank out about 45, yeah
5: we are smart about the space. Yeah. And if, if our birds stay really tiny yeah. so they can get in the middle Skinny of the tour. That's <laughs> how we were that's how we were at the old place we used to tell the kids like don't get any weight cuz you're not going to get around this yeah. brewery very easily. Honestly,
1: <laughs> the old place when I give tours like at this point everyone
5: suck in your
0: gut. We go through <laughs> it's these trees. It's,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like grand through a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So how much have you expanded already since you moved into this place in 2014?
1: Um, Well, we've gone into Illinois, the rest of Wisconsin since we've been here. And we are knocking on the door at Minnesota right now.
0: So awesome. we've been here
5: since 2012, actually September 2012. So it's been we've had some time to get used to the space and get used to not being able to find each other all day long because <laughs> the building's so big and to see what the brewery's capable of.
4: So how do you drive the branding and marketing of Ale Asylum? Like, what do you go into every day when you're thinking, how can I promote this company?
5: Well, I'm I'm Otto's co-pilot. Uh, we worked together uh, in marketing promotions for many years, and we we have the same kind of macabre edge to our copywriting and our branding. Uh, he's an amazingly gifted graphic artist. So he's done most of our designs himself, our, his logos. And then uh, we just kind of think what, what can cause a, a fraternal sense to our brand. Seek asylum, what does that mean to you? Does it mean to seek asylum like an insane asylum or seek a safety place? And we just kind of leave it up to our, our customer base to decide what that means for them. So we just try to engage people and to kind of get into their heartstrings a little bit, make them laugh. But also, at the end of the day, we're just like everyone else. We're hardworking people, and we have fun at what we do. We love what we do, but we work hard at it. It's
0: extremely smart to go that way too, to let the, your customer decide what it means to them. Yeah. yeah,
5: they like it. I have a lot of people approached me at festivals and talk about it you know and, and say that they laugh when they see like the inmate thing or um, we haven't been doing that quite as much lately we're trying to think of a new way to yeah and to it, ourselves it, with that
1: i love the name male asylum let's go back to that for a second because a lot of people think of insane asylum but when I first heard it, I thought of safety, you know, like a safe house, asylum, an asylum for ales. I think, I think
4: that leads to your tagline, right? Fermented insanity. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah, a pause there for out. dramatic yep. effect. <laughs> uh, where did that come from?
5: That was the same thing. All well, twisted minds. <laughs> we originally, to, to be quite honest with you, originally had it as two words, fermented and insanity. And then some policy led by the labeling, at the time the labeling...
1: The TTB. Yeah. TTB,
5: you know, the, the government facility in charge of labeling was like, we're not a fan of this. They'll allow horrible things to go on labels <laughs> and to be said about beer, but this, you know, set them off a little bit. So we broke it out and then they didn't say anything. So.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice play on words. And I love the Ale Asylum too. You got the great alliteration there. You know, and like you said, it, it lends itself to so many different iterations of speaking about the beer, speaking about the people who love the beers. Sure. You know, it, it really opens itself up. So one thing that we always love to ask our brewers is if you could take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast, which beers would you guys choose to kind of tell the story of the brewery? You know, if we gave you, let's say, five or six taps, which beers would you guys choose?
1: Well, we would choose the uh, five or six beers that are right here before you, <laughs> <surprisingly> <laughs>
5: well, We should mention we're doing a little live tasting as yep, we do here on the Tap Light. Takeover podcast. I'm yeah. trying so hard not to spill on the equipment. Yeah. I'm scared to touch anything.
1: So the first beer is um, what we call now Unshadowed i can tell the history of this that's yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, that's this yeah. lighter
5: one right here and it's nice a case.
1: it's a very traditional german hefe weizen it's a german wheat ale you guys know what i'm talking about
3: yeah very golden i mean very opaque you, you can barely see through this yep. guy so uh, unfiltered
1: unfiltered absolutely so can i really tell the story yeah, that's fine. so <laughs> when we started this company like way back when otto was married to hathaway and the story goes like this otto says comes home to his wife and says I'm gonna quit my job and uh, build a brewery. And she says, oh hell no, you're not. <laughs> and he says, but honey, I'll name a beer after you. And so that beer was originally called Haffeweizen. Oh.
5: <laughs> and It was my favorite recipe that he made at the Angelic. You had had an original recipe when he was at the Angelic and I can't remember what it was called.
1: It's called Harvest Moon Haffeweizen.
5: Harvest Moon, it was my favorite beer that he made. And so when we started Ale Asylum, he, they named that after me, which means a lot. But as we evolved and we got ready to package Hat the Bison, Otto and I both agreed that that's a very confusing name for the public. And so we decided to change it to Unshadowed and I'm thrilled with it. People are questioning me all the time, how did you feel about that? And I said I feel great about it. I know as a marketer that that would not have had any traction. And this beer is beautiful and it needs traction. One of the things I wanted to mention before he talks about it more was that dean's been evolving this recipe for 20 plus years and he always says that working with with this type of yeast trying to craft an amazing and is like trying to train a cat because that yeast doesn't do what you want it to do and so whenever we give beer school to our employees i always tell people that this is a perfection that came after 20 years of recipe formulation. Well,
4: that's very interesting because this is, at least currently, your only beer that contains a grain outside of barley, correct? So you're Um, you're
1: generally... twenty six that you had has a little bit of weed in it, but but, but, but you're correct, yeah. Yeah, because
4: you're, uh, and I I saw this online, though I can't use the word, your style uh, purist. You used a different word that
5: Oh. Style nuts. Oh, yes. oh, the style <laughs> Nazi. But we like to say that Dean brews in the spirit of the German purity law. OK. So that helps kind of clarify a little bit. Yeah. And
3: I'll tell you what, we uh, we just spoke with, uh, our, our most recent episode that came out was with uh, Randy Sprecker. And I mean, he's been brewing beers <laughs> for 30 plus years. And he, t- <laughs> he talked about the, the Difficulty in getting that ester flavor to, to happen in some of these really really delicate weiss beers and you know some of the Belgians I I, I can see it here. It's a it's got a beautiful like a light clove uh, There's just an underpinning of banana, but I mean it's really really light
5: I'm glad you said that because a lot of people say either they're clove vice drinkers or banana A lot of them don't like the balance. They're either one or the I other. I think it's a fantastic
0: balance think uh, it makes it a little crisper too did you, you tell them fun. the
5: German tourist story
1: <laughs> no but yeah we've had German tourists in here who are just like
5: what this is just like the
1: vice i remember from my childhood and, you know it's a it's a great compliment to get from it's great that
4: germans have vices from their childhood <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you know the vice beers uh, when you're six and eight year old drinking. Yeah. Oh, sh- so what's a what's your second beer that you would tell your story from.
5: Second one over here is our Bedlam Belgian style IPA right here. And this one, this this beer, I'm gonna a bragging right just for two seconds and Dean's gonna tell the stories so it's really funny <laughs> that beer right now is the sixth highest rated Belgian style IPA and beer advocates list wow! Oh, so this is an international oh. list and there's only a few of us in that top six that are from the US that's pretty exciting yeah. we're pretty excited about that it's very Brie exciting one beer.
4: everybody should be very proud I'm sure everybody was behind this beer when it was proposed
1: no. He knows the story. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. He set me up. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm the classic beer Nazi style Nazi. I really am. But so if everyone out there listening knows what I mean when I say style Nazi is when I make a porter, damn it it's gonna taste like a porter. When I make a brown ale, it's gonna look and smell and taste like a brown ale. And that's how I've always been. The the customer should be able to read the label and understand what they're getting. And so how many years ago now like about eight nine years ago yeah
5: it was like our third year
1: Otto and our head brewer chris riffenberg come up to me and say we've got this idea for a beer let's make a belgian ipa and i say no (laughs) belgians don't make ipas therefore we're not gonna make a belgian ipa and they just tried to convince me come on we really should try this and so I gave a little bit and I said okay we will write this recipe we will make this beer and then I will taste it and if I don't like it it goes down the drain and we never speak of this again and they both high stakes Yep. they both signed off on that so Chris and I sat down we wrote the recipe and it literally made me so uncomfortable I left the country so they could (laughs) brew it. And I'm not joking. I left the country. I went to Costa Rica. My wife and I got married. We came back here, and they were just giddy like little high school (laughs) girls. Just yee. You got to taste this. You got to taste this. And I was like, this is really something interesting. Let's see where this goes. And that's how Bedlam was born.
5: He told us we couldn't let anybody try it, but of course we did. We didn't, we didn't sell any off-site. But I mean, we couldn't help ourselves. The, the response was, you know, a lot of times people would take a sip of it because it was so different. That Belgian yeast just softened the, the crud out of the, the citra hops. And they'd take a sip, and, they, and you're thinking, are they going to like it or hate it? What's this look like? Is this like, I can't even stand this, or is it? And people would just be like, oh, my God, that is amazing. You have to package this. And this was before the citra hops started yeah. to really take off.
1: This was like the first year before citras really came out.
5: And they're patent. They're really hard for little guys like us to get our hands on at the time. So we kind of went out on a on a limb on this one, to, yeah. took a big chance. And it was a touch and go. We had to contract out a lot for the hops. Yeah. And sometimes we had a shortage, and we'd have to go out on Brewers Association forum, and anyone have any citra hops they yeah. want to trade or sell? And so it was kind of a rough few years before we put it year round.
4: Yeah, so walk us through what we should be tasting in this. How's the malt base and the citra hops and that yeast come together?
1: And that's just, the name of it is Bedlam. And I think that captures the flavor profile better than anything else. Bedlam, for anyone who doesn't know, is a famous insane asylum in England. And the word Bedlam has come to mean chaos. And I think that the flavor and aromas of that beer are chaos. They really are. <laughs> there, There's sweetness. There's bitterness. There's the ester pro- profile, plus all the weird things that um, citra hops do, marrying with all the weird things that the Belgian yeast do, and coming together in a freak show of a beer.
3: Chaos is
5: art. That's the motto Chaos for this beer. Chaos is art, yeah. <laughs> yep. So uh, how about this third beer? What? That's Popalicious, our flagship beer. Yeah.
1: It's an American pale ale, a style that is so overlooked and is so... I think important when it's done right, it's one of the best styles of beer there is. Back when I was a wee lad, back in the eighties, the early eighties, they used to tell us that there are no true American styles. All Americans do is is mimic Europeans. This was the first truly recognized American style, the American pale ale. I love it. It's it's my favorite style. Um, The balance of the hops and the malt, making the hops interesting enough for connoisseurs to enjoy, but approachable enough for non-connoisseurs to enjoy, and the emphasis on hop flavor and aroma is what really drives me for that. People always ask me like how these recipes came up, and the recipe for hop alicious literally took me 10 years. Wow. 10 years of trial and error and beating my head against a brick wall.
3: Was that mostly home brewing, or were you doing this at uh, Angelic?
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
5: But we had we switched it a fair amount, when we got here. Yep,
1: of course, we did. Yeah, we switched all yeah. the way. We make beer is different here, and the ingredients and everything yeah. else. Yeah.
4: yeah, so it's got a great malt based but it's not too sweet the hops are there they announce themselves but they don't overpower there's a marriage happening there
5: the key to this one is balance for sure
1: and it is right away turned into our flagship people often think that brewers choose their flagship and I'm always no 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 the public chooses your flagship if you get a flagship this one is still for a time it was over 60% of everything we make Mm -hmm. now I think it's down to closer to 50% of what we make which is good that means we're becoming more diverse and more healthy as a company
5: it paid for this building basically (laughs) This building we actually had to dedicate a third brewing shift just for this beer we have it used to be a Sunday through Tuesday shift now we uh, dovetail it into the work week a little bit more but we actually had to get 400 barrel fermenter conditioning and bright tanks for this beer
1: Yes, and it it takes us 48 hours of continuous brewing to fill that fermenter. And when it's full, it holds 5,600 cases of beer. And we do that pretty much every week for Hopalicious.
5: And the weird thing is, I rarely see it in our walk-in cooler. Because everything we make, the distributors from the two states we're in come and take it off. Where Hopalicious normally rests in the cooler, there's always tumbleweeds, which is (laughs) ironic.
4: (laughs) So let's talk more about your recipe creation. Uh, What's your inspiration or motivation behind your beers?
1: Usually when I go, when I uh, uh, approach a beer, I think about the style and I imagine the perfect example of that style. Color, aroma, flavor, bitterness, I imagine it and I spend days doing this. Sometimes I'll go out and drink a bunch of examples and then after I've imagined it for a long time, I try to, to put what I'm imagining down onto paper into a recipe and that's kind of the path I go. Nowadays I have so many talented brewers beneath me, Chris and Joe. Um, Chris is my head brewer, Joe is our quality assurance manager. We tend to all um, get together and create recipes together.
5: We call Dean the master alchemist here. (laughs) Our fourth beer is Dr. Venom. It is our last seasonal, one of our last seasonal releases. It's an IPA. It is the first IPA, true style, American IPA that we put in cans. We're going to start doing that moving forward with our seasonal releases of of IPAs. So, Dean's got a great story about the name of this one (laughs)
1: Dr. Ranham.
5: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's, It's really hysterical. My wife's oldest daughter got her Ph.D., and then she married a man named Venom. (laughs) So she is Dr. Venom. And her Ph.D., and she's actually a professor at um, Kansas State. She's a professor in um, marital family therapy. So she's literally (laughs) Dr. Hugs. It's so funny. So we, we just thought that that name was so cool, and we created this beer, and Otto is about to create the image, and the real Dr. Venom shot me an email and said, can it at least be a strong female figure? (laughs) Be careful what you wish for, because Otto made it a strong female figure. And if you haven't seen the image yet, it's like this uh, green alien nurse injecting things into her tongue. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. I spent time with the actual Dr. Venom last weekend and I gave her a can of the beer and I said, this is what your students are going to see whenever they Google your name from now on. It's pretty <laughs> funny. It's pretty funny. It's so, one of our
5: sexiest labels. I mean, she's quite a creature. She looks like a um, very pop art. Uh, we were going for kind of like a comic book character. She's one of the few ones that we haven't named. We just call her she your doctor I mean just got her name Dr Venom. usually yeah. we name our our figures our characters. We've gotten a lot of responses mostly from all from men saying <laughs> um you're you're short selling yourselves with this sexy you know she's a total sexy time you know nurse she's got a big cleavage and everything and And then we have some where, you know, they're talking about the the syringe and, you know, what that portrays. And as Otto said in an interview last week, it's very polarized, but ironically, it's all men given the feedback. Usually we get, if we have any kind of feedback on a sexy label, it's women. Pretty controversial if you put a female with cleavage on a beer can, which we've, we've done We've done crazier things in our time here, <laughs> believe me, we have. You know, we'll continue to do crazier things, but this one was kind of interesting for me and Otto to have to answer to with the general public.
1: And I love the flavor profile, it's aggressive, fruity, it's very interesting.
0: You guys do do a ton of beers, I mean just from looking at your distribution chart here. Yeah. Three different seasonal yeah. options for This is
5: the yeah. most aggressive year we have ever had. and. You know, you, you want to, I want to tell you guys, and I want to tell whoever's listening to this, that we plan these releases six months in advance, but literally it just, it creeps up on you. Like we, Octillion came in August 1st, we and I went, oh my gosh, Octillion's here, and it's taking you know off really well, but um, this has been a crazy year. You can't rest on your laurels at all. And that's exciting. And like today's for us. market, yeah. yeah.
3: You always have to be pushing yourself. Yeah. yeah
5: and you know, we I, I feel very strongly about this that, you know, it's not really competition as, as long as everyone's making a good beer and they're they're doing well by each other and collectively working for the good for our industry, it's okay. Don't put a shitty beer out there. Don't try to market it with pretty packaging and it's a crappy beer. It just there's no room for it. You know the consumers don't deserve that.
3: So I really do like this uh, Doctor Venom. It, the Mosaic really does speak in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, mosaic is a fantastic hop. It's used very often in the uh, the single malt series that a lot of folks do. But when you when you kind of reinforce it with some other hops like you have, it, it's it's beautiful. You got a really nice IPA here.
5: Thank you. I agree.
4: So what next do we have on our taps?
5: We have Velveteen, Velveteen Habit, IPA.
4: Whoa. You guys know this
3: one? This is a fan oh, favorite. Yeah, this is a, this is a favorite of the podcast, yeah.
1: All right.
5: Great. So this one was voted by Milwaukee Magazine, Wisconsin's best IPA, a couple summers ago. They did a taste test uh, with some judges, and it was a blind taste test, and it won. And so we had this as a seasonal. Again, it's another Citra Hopped IPA. Uh, we're able to get our hands on Citra Hops a lot easier.
0: Yep.
5: And... When we took it off season, I think I was receiving and Otto was receiving two death threats. A week, which I, is... I apologize. Yeah, I one, a to <laughs> yeah, one, one a week is too much. One a week too much. And you probably did too, but you don't really answer emails. So I don't know. It got to the point where I was I was telling Otto, I'm scared to go in my driveway at night. Like, this is kind of scary. So we decided to make it, in all seriousness, decided to go um, full term with it year round. And we did can it. Although Milwaukee and Madison has not seen it in cans yet. There was another market up north that saw it in cans. We're gonna bring it out in cans pretty soon here. Cool. Yeah, you weren't here; you were out of the uh, country. Uh, so <laughs> the
0: threats worked though for Val.
5: They did. And it, the, the the acclaim and the clamor when we announced it on social media announced it, of press releases and in our email program. I've never been bombarded with such positive feedback and affirmation that this was a great decision. And I don't think I was. We were really worried about it, but okay, we did the right thing. And the yeah. sales are are strong; they're keeping up with the decision. So that yeah. was that was
3: good. <laughs> this is literally one of the best IPAs I've ever had in Wisconsin. Awesome. I, I love I love Fantasy Factory. You know, from Carbon Four, they do yeah. a fantastic job. But how how exactly do you get that balance between the hops and the malt? Where it's just I mean, it's it's uber hoppy. You know, it's over the top hoppy. But there's a, an absolute perfect balance between the hops and the malt. How what kind of alchemy are you? User. You know, in,
1: in all honesty, I have to um, I have to admit that back in the day I wrote all the recipes. But underneath me now is my I've said this before. My head brewer Chris Riffenberg and my quality control manager Joe Waltz. But this was this beer was back in the day uh, when Joe wasn't around, and Chris and I started to make beers together. And Chris got really good at it. And then he came to me and he said he had this idea for an IPA. And I was like, I backed off altogether. I said, This is all you do. Go for it. See what you can do. And his first try out of the gate was Velveteen Habit. Wow. Knocked it out of the park. Knocked it out of <laughs> yeah. the park. Dang. So I have to just hats off to Chris if he's listening. He's the guy who did this one. And you're right. It's a perfect balance. It's so nice. And I like it because the citrus are there and noticeable, but they're not overwhelming. Sometimes citrus can overwhelm me. Yeah,
4: and the bitterness is not too high, right? So I don't know what the IBU is on this, but it's not uh, overly dry and bitter. It is definitely showcasing the hops.
1: Yep, it just marries perfectly with the malt.
4: Oh. Also, pro tip, if you're going to make large changes to how you make beer, make sure that Dean is out of the country. I
1: could not agree more.
5: Anything, and we have this whole thing that the cats away. The cats (laughs) away. Yeah, Yeah. we get into a little bit of mischief, and it's funny because this past trip he was gone for a couple months. And at first I was like, what should we do, what should we do, what should we do? And then we all got so busy. But if he's gone for like these three-week spurts, I think we get more into trouble into those three weeks than <laughs> <laughs> we do when he's gone for two months. I
1: thought for sure when I got back, I was like, give me all fruit, beers, and sour. <laughs> <laughs> Making a bacon beer.
5: Yeah, <laughs> hey, what have you done?
0: <laughs> so what rounds out, Yann, to sex
5: Well, this last one is our Octillion Oktoberfest. We talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the podcast. It is our second package lager, uh, this one in bottles, and it's its second year in release. Uh, we had a good good reception from it last year. It's a very traditional, you know, nice, light, biscuity, ready Oktoberfest. Very traditional in color at Mouthfeet.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a good old-fashioned Märzen, is what I call it. Yeah,
4: because there are some Marzins that really get kind of too sweet, too malt forward, yeah. and they kind of overpower everything. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is definitely not I mean it's very yeah. approachable as an Oktoberfest yeah
1: and just the way the Germans would like it the Germans don't like the, the sweet chlorine beers like
5: that dried out and this logo uh, we call her Lorelei she's a beautiful uh, tentacle another sexy lady and um, she's done kind of in the day of the dead tradition very beautiful uh, logo done by our friend Lacey Drury here in town uh, she's the general manager at the Midtown Pub and she's a very gifted Young artists. And so when we bottled this beer, I called her and her, the owner of the bar that she works at and said, come on over here. And they didn't know why I was saying come over. And when I handed her the bottle, she got all teary-eyed and was Aww. all excited. And we're very happy for her. It's really yeah. cool.
1: It's a great, great logo, yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah, it's
3: a fantastic logo and fantastic beer, too. Uh, you guys have yeah.
1: been knocking out of the
3: park. All, all six of these beers Aww. that you've chosen, uh, you. I, I think you guys are telling a really nice story here.
5: Thank you. And you mentioned you wanted to show or tell your listeners about something unusual that we do we do an imperial stout festival here in town this is our third year and it's to basically release not only our imperial stouts but our barrel aged beer program both on tap and in bomber bottles we have some really exciting ones coming out this year so we really thought out of the box with our barrel aged program
1: can i interject yeah so uh, being the nazi that i am <laughs> i was not comfortable putting my beer into Wood used wood from some distillery. What are you doing? Technically, whiskey is an
4: adjunct, and you're sneaking in, right? When you're not looking at night.
1: (laughs) Technically, an adjunct is a fermentable, it's not fermentable. So I'm gonna squeeze, squeak by that one. But, but I was. Not happy with the idea of this program at all. And when the first thing we did is we put our Mercy, which is our Belgian Grand Cruer quad, into tequila barrels. And I was thinking to myself, this is some of the best, most expensive liquid we make. And we're putting it into used tequila barrels. This is all going to go down the drain. This is just going to be a heartbreaking <laughs> situation. Seven months later, we tapped the tequila barrel. And I taste it. And oh my goodness. I'm a believer now. I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> you got baptized that day. Yeah, well, right there, then and there. Oh, my goodness.
5: What we do with our, our liquor and wine barrels is that we aggressively rinse them out with hot water because we don't want any of that residual liquid in there so that our beer just picks up light notes. And it, it's turned out really well for it us. Yeah,
1: really, really well. Yeah. So come to Fermentus Send.
5: Yeah, uh, September twenty third.
1: Tickets still available. Oh, yeah, thirty
5: five dollars, all you can drink. It's actually very unique because instead of the lawn in the back, we're always nervous about the weather. Even if you have tents, it's still a miserable experience. We're actually making it into the entire brewery and tasting room, oh, and nice. we'll have little kind of areas carved out where people can have different experiences and feel like they're in different maybe parts of the world or whatever and we'll have bands and it'll be a lot of fun a very intimate experience very unique
3: well i think this is a great time to uh take a little break uh we'll you know refill our glasses and uh we'll be back after some beer news
0: Welcome to another edition of Beer News. This episode's easily accessible beer is a new one by Broken Bat called Socks that debuts this Thursday, September 14th. Socks, named in spirit of the Red Sox baseball team, is a malt forward classic American amber ale. Socks clocks in at a very drinkable 5.1% ABV and will be around for the next few months. Make sure you stop at Broken Bat, located at 231 East Buffalo Street, to grab a couple of pints of Socks this fall. While we're talking about Broken Bat, Bat Brewery, you can check them and four other local Milwaukee breweries out this Friday, September 15th at the Shepherd Express Street Eats event. The, this Milwaukee Craft Brewery League takeover will include Straight Ched, and Apricot Pale Ale, and Cory Cory, a Mexican lager infused with lime, brewed especially for the folks at Shepherd Express. Highlights from Friends of the Show, D14, and Mobcraft include Chocomatic Love Machine, a dark chocolate ale, and Bat Shit Crazy, a Mobcraft Coffee Brown Ale. St. Francis Brewery will have a German Weiss beer and a Uncle. And saving the best for last, we have our new friends at the Explorium with their Oktoberfest and their Cherry Chocolate Stout, a collaboration with Cigar City Brewing from Florida. Trust me, you definitely want to try this one. And we have heard that they will be releasing a barrel-aged version of this on Black Friday as well. Get on down to Street Eats this Friday at Catalana Square in the Third Ward and soak this great beer up by grubbing out at the many fantastic food trucks Milwaukee has to offer too. In brewery news, our friends at Ray's Grain will celebrate their second anniversary by throwing a big party. Join them for an outdoor celebration at their brewery and tap room on Saturday, September 23rd, from noon to midnight. They'll have bands throughout the day and will be pulling kegs out of the cellar from their special beer releases earlier this year. In festival news, September 16th gives you two festivals to choose from. For our friends to the north, Beautiful Door County hosts the Egg Harbor Ale Fest. Enjoy craft beers from 40 different brewers. There will be more than hundred different craft beers to sample. Bring your friends for a fun day of tasting and sampling. The event runs from 1 to 5 p.m. with early admission available to VIP guests at noon. And for our friends to the south, Racine has its annual Great Lakes Brewfest at the Racine Zoo. It's their 12th year and features unlimited sampling of more than 250 craft beers and sodas from nearly 100 brewers on the beautiful shore of Lake Michigan. All paid attendees will receive a souvenir tasting glass. Food will be served by local restaurants and will be available for purchase. The festival also features live music, including performances by the world-renowned Kilties Drum and Bugle Corps. September 29th, Ale Asylum in Madison has its annual ferment, Scent Imperial Stout release and festival. A commemorative 16-ounce logo glass, a 6-ounce sample pour of each imperial stout, access to one-of-a-kind aged releases, and vertical tastings, and free perks throughout the festival. And this has been Beer News. Extra,
1: extra, That's
6: right.
0: Thank you, Andy, for yet another
4: fantastic beer news. Thank you, my man. But before we get back into the interview, let's talk about something really special common thread. Uh, This is a collaborative beer put on by the Wisconsin Brewers Guild. It's a Baltic porter this year. Tell us what we should be tasting here.
1: Well first a little background Um, the common thread is um, it is a uh collaboration. We try to include as many brewers as we can throughout. It was Madison, now it's throughout the state. It's been done at different breweries around southern Wisconsin. This is the first time we did it here. We chose the Baltic Porter because it's a fun style. It's got one foot in the ale world, one foot in the lager world, and we thought it'd be fun for all the different breweries to get involved in. Joe Waltz, who's our Quality Assurance Manager, headed the project, very patiently took um, ideas from every brewer in the state who wanted to participate And it was a very long process to work out the uh, recipe. I think this beer is amazing because it's full, it's velvety smooth, and it's deeply rich. The richness is like chocolate almost, but it's like a a well of chocolate. It goes down and down and down. It's just amazing.
4: There are definitely multiple layers of the malt. You get a very basic almost eastern european kind of malt profile immediately on the tongue and then the chocolate kind of seeps in behind it and you're getting different multiple profiles
1: from there So nice, isn't it? Even
3: like different chocolate profiles. Like at at first, you get the sweetness, like a milk chocolate, and then it kind of evolves into uh, like a dry
1: sweetness, which is more like a dark chocolate. Really, really well done, guys. Really well done. Really nice, and I like it because it's so rich, but it finishes pretty clean. It doesn't really hang out and linger on your tongue very much. It's really nice beer.
5: We packaged it in cans. Seems kind of counterintuitive to put a Baltic Porter in cans, but the reception's been nice.
4: one yeah so you've been talking about how your recent foray into cans you've always been bottling Uh, what was that decision point to move into cans and where is that going in the future
1: well that decision was driven by a lot of things cans can go places bottles can't golf courses beaches rivers things like that and also cans are how do i say this the greenest way a brewer can package beer is in an aluminum can and a cardboard wrap it's by far and away the greenest way you can package beer so that's attractive to me also, cans are, and I'm an old guy, so I have a prejudice written into my DNA. <laughs> <A> moniker. <laughs> that prejudice mm. is that good beer comes in glass and crappy beer comes in, in aluminum cans. And so I had to really challenge myself to get into this, but cans literally are a better package. The, the seal of the lid of a can onto a can is far and away better than a crown onto a glass bottle so it's better for the liquid over time. It took me a long time to swallow that <laughs> pill, but it's true. And so I've embraced cans. Cans are also cheaper, and we get to pass that savings along to our customers. I was just in Woodman's yesterday, and a 12-pack of Hopalicious in cans is almost $4 cheaper than two six-packs in bottles. That's real savings, and that's, the customer gets to enjoy that too. So I think that the world is going towards cans. North American craft beer is definitely going towards cans. I think the rest of the world is as well. I think it's probably a good thing over time.
3: You know that is definitely reflected in some of our past interviews. You know, we talked with, let's say Half Acre comes to mind. They do most of their stuff in cans now, whereas before they were mostly bottles. And, you know, they'll still do the 22 ounces, the special releases and their bottles and everything. But it seems like they've gone full-on can. So a lot of breweries have gone that way. You guys still uh, plan on doing some of the bottling, or are you guys thinking? thinking long-term, uh, mostly cans.
1: Well, we'll always just respond to demand, and so what we're doing both right now, and I, I don't see that changing, but who knows? Maybe if the world just totally goes to cans, we'll stop bottling someday. I, I don't know.
3: Let, let's talk about the adjuncts in the beers. I know that it's a it's a sore <laughs> subject with you, Dean. The no adjunct, uh, the, the brewing Nazi thing comes out when we talk about them. So where, where did that decision come from to completely, completely absolve yourself of adjuncts?
1: Well, I got a a funny thing is when I was a young man, an old brewer said to me once, you know, they call them adjuncts because you're adding junk to your beer. (laughs) And I didn't believe him at the time. When I was a young man, I felt that brewing is an art and laws should never govern art. Art should be outside of the law. And so I felt like Reinhaskobel, the German purity law, was kind of an abomination. There shouldn't be a law governing art. I really believe that. And I kind of still do today. But as the decades roll by, and the more and more I brew, the more I realize that every time you step outside of that discipline of Ryan Bowl, that discipline of those four ingredients, you're just mucking up the beer. You're not doing anything good for the beer. And when you stick to those very disciplined little narrow path, if you do it right, something truly beautiful comes out. And that's, that's where I am today.
5: That's a beautiful lesson. People can't believe it when we give tours, how our different personalities of our beers come out based on the color, the mouthfeel, the aroma, anything that has to do with the profile. When they start to get it and comes into fruition in their brains is when they're in the malt room and you show them the different colors of malt. People have no idea that you know malt can be dark black or it could be super light pale brown. And, and that's when they, the wheels start to click and then they get more excited about how our beers can be different within those four ingredients.
4: So you've been expanding your whole selection right now. Are you guys at like the most varietals uh, that you offer at one time right now? I know,
5: shake my head no. <laughs> yes, we're, we're different. We're we'll definitely on the this, most huh?
1: varietals, and yeah. and next week we'll be adding more demand, <laughs> more um, varietals, and next year more and more. But do you
5: feel like uh, we're at
1: capacity for it? I I just. I think that's the demand that the modern um, craft brew culture is. It's more and more different, more and more diversity. And I think as a company, we have to respond to that. So do you offer anything that's tap room only? Absolutely.
4: Yeah. And then uh, how do you announce that out to the public? Do they just have to come by every week? They just have
1: to wander in and figure it out for themselves. No, we have, um, as you guys saw today, we have a spawn series, we call it. And that is, you know, I have 15 talented brewers and they all have ideas and ideas. They want to do stuff, and so if one of them comes to me and says, "I have an idea for a beer, I want to do this," I'll say, "Do it," and we'll make it a little spawn beer, and we'll see how it tastes, how the public reacts to it, and maybe it'll become a release, maybe it won't.
0: So, is the spawn beer series um, just taproom only, or does that ever go out to the general public? It does go out right? to the it public. Uh,
5: we do. We don't own or manage the Alestone River House in Milwaukee, but the spawn series is featured in Milwaukee. We also use it for accounts that maybe have had us consistently on tap with you know one or two draft lines consistently. And they can have kind of a special tapping of it. Um, the Argus Bar here in Madison just celebrated their 10th anniversary. We renamed Spawn Series 24 into Argus X. For their anniversary party because they're they they're just very near and dear to us
0: so how did the secondary milwaukee location come about
5: well it's owned by a gentleman by the name of tim thompson his ex-wife stuffed albicio they're very celebrated and established restaurateurs in the madison middleton area and they just recently opened up bear and bottle here in madison it's fantastic he's had a very consistent craft beer program that has been well received by our craft beer community here in Madison, and the proof was in the numbers of the beer that he was ordering from us for all of his restaurants across the board. He's We just like the way he does business. He's tight across the board, branding, you name it, management. He's just got the whole deal going for him. And so he heard about the Molly Cool Space being up for grabs on Old World 3rd Street and thought, wow, that is a fantastic location. It's got plenty of room for me to do all sorts of fun things with live music and the patios. And so he approached us and he and Otto and, and Dean sat down and worked out a great deal. And, and like I said before, he completely owns and manages it. He orders the beer from a distributor like any other bar or restaurant in your area. It's worked out really well. It's a nice way for us to have a, a strong connection to our Milwaukee market.
0: You've got a pretty large following in the Milwaukee area as well. I mean, but for your fans in Madison and from Milwaukee, just an hour away Um, we were talking about just brewery only releases what when do you guys usually do that is it just at random or do you have a set schedule that you do that on
5: not really random random. and going back to the river house they have a seller series program and so anything that we do special releases up here they call it their seller series so they have one that rotates maybe every quarter and it's worked out really well
3: so uh, we should welcome to the podcast. We've got uh, we've got Otto, the man himself, the man, the myth, the legend, dun, <laughs> in dun, the room. Dun. How are you doing today?
6: I'm doing well. There should be more expletives in that. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh,
3: so Otto, we we talked about the uh, the brand name Ale Asylum, and you came up with that yourself. And a lot of the branding is is all of your brainchild. What has that meant to you to to have not just your your ideas on a bottle, but your ideas so well received?
6: Well, I, uh, I like the fact that you can uh, get whatever you want to get from them okay so it well received not well received it's all uh, you know up to interpretation from a consumer and that's, that's a nice thing it's a nice spot to be in because I get to be uh, a little on that creative side of things and and hopefully connect with some people and, and maybe some people don't connect with it but the biggest thing about it for me it has been since day one since before the company even started was just being able to uh, partner with somebody that I respected that was doing what I thought was a great job within a specific industry, uh, in this industry in beer, and that deserved good representation. And so it it makes me want to work as hard as I can to match up with the beer because what those guys do in the brewery is top notch, world class. And so uh, there's a lot of times where I'll bring things to Dean or anybody else around here and I'll show them to him and Dean especially. It was like, I'm not sure I'm digging that, and he'll tell me why and what the specific reasons are. And and I, that kind of honest feedback and that honest dialogue back and forth, I think it makes us all better across the board. We do that with the beer, we do that with the branding. It's a, it's a nice partnership to be able to do that back and forth.
0: So now that we have the three here together, the basic <laughs> foundation. I was busy drinking, guys. Sorry that. <laughs> no, that's that's a good problem to have, right? <laughs> always a legitimate what, excuse. Can you give our listeners maybe a crazy story or two from the, from the startup days?
5: Oh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Which one are you
1: thinking about? <laughs> oh, this is a gotcha journalism.
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help myself.
1: One story I can think of is, um, so when you're trying to start a business and you want a space, the landlord's like, okay, I'll rent you this space, but uh, let me see. You got a loan from the bank? And the bank's like, okay, maybe we'll loan you some money, but you got a, you got a landlord, you got a rent? And so you have to like kind of orchestrate and bring it all together at once. And Otto and I were struggling to do that. And we we finally found a space and we, we drove to the guy, the landlord's house to sign the lease. <laughs> and this is this incredibly huge mansion with a sniper rifle right next to his desk. <laughs> literally It was a weird scene a fur coat? <laughs> yeah. yeah and we sign this as we we're signing this lease he says to us you know okay there's those offices that we have in the building whatever you do just don't just don't take down those offices and we said okay we signed a seven-year lease for more mm-hmm. money than either of us were worth at the time <laughs> we got in my car we drove five miles to the location stopped, got a Sawzall on my trunk, walked into the place. I looked at Otto at these, these nice offices, and I said, to victory or to death. <laughs> <laughs> and we just took down those offices right then and there. Like 20 minutes after he told us not to. <laughs> we had
5: carpeting. And
1: it
5: used to be a printing company, and it looked like something. It looked like a meth lab. We walked in there,
6: it was terrific. Yeah, they had one separate room in there as a printing company and there's, you know, very dark kinda room. It had one of those blinky uh, blinkety blink fluorescent lights it going on and it was dark all around and it literally looked like s- the movie Saw. It was so there was puddles and d- was random dripping going on, we didn't know where the <laughs> dripping was coming from. Hex- um, corner. And we thought, you know what, yeah. this is perfect,
5: like, this is what we always dreamed of, yeah, yeah this is <laughs> good.
1: some beer here. Huh? Have,
5: this one, I have pictures of this one literally jackhammering the floor. And I used it for years for his like publicity pic. And finally he said, no boss. No boss. We must put this picture to rest.
3: But, Dean with the jackhammer. Oh, we've got
5: just really cute photos of these guys sitting on top of the coolers and packaging beer. and Yeah, it's just too much fun. When
6: she says cute, she means sweaty and dusty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: My fellas. I have a story, but I don't know. I'm going to get Trubzies if I tell it about you two. I
6: just... I think you're fine okay
5: Okay, so these guys we were in the planning stages they were at the Angelic having a couple beers I get this call from Otto and he said any way you can come pick Dean and I up and take Dean home and then Drive us home. I'm like, that's fine. I get there and they are having a lot of fun, and I don't think they've eaten all day, and I could barely understand him. But I think I his, this. his girlfriend at the time, his girlfriend at the time, kept coming to get him. I said to get this one home, and it was rush hour, and he looked. He's sitting in the front seat. He looked like he was feeling fine. He was messing with the radio like he always does, and just hanging out. And uh, we we're driving up Monroe Street in rush hour, and he looks at me. He goes, pull over.
3: <laughs>
5: and there's a woman out in the front of her house with her two kids. And <laughs> <laughs> here's Otto just out the door. He <laughs> <You keep? laughs>
0: ran right her front lawn. <laughs> oh, I never heard that story.
4: <laughs> Breaking news.
6: I have, to, I have to I have to I have to mention at the tail end of that story we hadn't made any beer yet. It was not off of our beer, it was off of somebody else's <laughs> beer that
5: wasn't as good.
3: Taint, tainted beer. It was tainted beer. I, I, I blame it
6: on the tainted beer.
5: But that was what my and he's such a champ. You know, he gets back in the car, he's like, hey, let's go out and <laughs> eat. But it was Get pretty funny. Right this home. mom was so super cool like, and, um, I remember I said something like this is history in the making and I didn't tell her why but if she recognized you down the road that would be pretty funny yeah. <laughs>
6: that's how you start a brewery kids
5: yeah, sure. <laughs> right. she was a good sport she was a super good sport
3: no if she hears this podcast she'll know who to sue for the uh, you know for the uh, the psychologist payments for her kids oh
5: <laughs> God, it was funny it,
6: it
3: were traumatized that day
5: I'm on Monroe Street you can't pull over on Monroe Street <laughs> the first of
6: many children we've traumatized. Oh, <laughs> All
3: right, so how do you guys, uh, you guys have a, a variety of beers, as we've talked about. How do you guys get that out on social media? How do you guys get, how do you guys market, I guess is the, the big question. How do you get the beer that you brew into people's mouths? That's the million dollar question. That is. <laughs> yeah, in a variety
5: of ways. We used to rely on, before social media, word of mouth. We were very grassroots. We had no marketing budget. Luckily Otto and I have had that experience where he and I have worked in higher profile advertising situations where I had a budget of three million a year and then I went to that and he worked on that project too and then I had, we had nothing. For us in that part of our career it was actually a really timely challenge for us to do really strong guerrilla marketing. And then Facebook came about, and this is before Facebook for Business, and we made a Facebook friend page for the brewery. Four months later, they came out with Facebook for Business and we had to shut down the friend page and switch over. Then we just kind of slowly built on to Twitter and Instagram, again, no paid media at all at this point. And then as we grew and moved into this space, we took on a print and radio advertising program. So it just kind of grew. And when new beers come out, we just across the board use all of our channels. It starts when the, usually when the beers in the fermenter, I will take a picture of that and put it on social media and people go crazy. I did it for Octillion early on this summer and it had something like 375 likes. You know, people get really excited about that. They want to know what's on deck. They want to be the first to share it. We have a very savvy social media audience.
6: So. Yeah, and it, and it all stems from what's going on in the brewery. It really does because I mean, you know, you're bringing all of the. You try to bring all of the unique aspects and stories out of a particular beer or how a beer is made or who's doing what, recipe formulation, all of that kind of stuff. Regardless of whether it's just represented in the branding or the social media or print or any type of uh, out uh, out there media, it's really trying to kind of stay true to like what we believe, which is just kind of bringing out the attitude of not only the, the product that we're representing, but the people that are making it. The story was told earlier before I got here, but you don't work in a brewery with a brewmaster that was in a band that opened for Slayer (laughs) without fucking around a little bit with some of the social media, (laughs) media aspects of it and just really trying to have some fun with it and just not take it all too seriously.
5: We try not to ever take ourselves too seriously. Uh, At the end of the day, when we're writing copy together or braiding something together, if we're laughing super hard during it, that's a good sign. It doesn't feel like a have to or, oh, we're not rolling our eyes. It's always a good sign when we're smiling or laughing at something we came up with.
6: No, I I think it's a lot like the recipe formulation process with the uh, brewers in that it's this uh, kind of open dialogue amongst them. It's the same way in terms of the marketing and branding side of things where we will start a conversation and then we'll bring in the creative people in the office environment and ask their opinions about x y or z if we get a laugh if that's what we're looking for if we want to scowl we see that we're like yeah that's what we were looking for it all depends on what you're kind of what you're going for in that particular environment
5: you guys know the term rictus grin we had oh, yeah. a beer club rictus grin yeah. last year but yeah yeah we have an office manager that whenever we say something edgy and she does the she doesn't see rictus grin she is the emoticon that does the whole like, teeth thing. When we get that reaction out of her, we know we're on track, right? Yep.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, so speaking of what's coming down the pipeline, by the time this podcast airs, uh, Mercy, your Belgian grand crew, will be in the market. Mm-hmm. And you have Satisfaction Jackson rolling out right after that. Mm-hmm. Um, what can our listeners look forward to um, early 2018 from you guys? Well,
5: we actually, I want to talk about two new ones that we've got coming out oh before really? twenty eighteen. Brand new releases. Ooh, breaking breaking news. news. Okay, yeah, this will be a thirty second bullet point. We got uh Baba Duke IPA coming out and then B two D two. I bet you guys can guess the timing <laughs> of that one. Maybe <laughs> yeah. kinda. So we've got those two IPAs coming out as brand new releases. So that's Still exciting stuff for two thousand seventeen. Don't shut us down yet. We still got good stuff coming out. Yeah. So.
3: No, no. Tell us about those two beers. So let our listeners well, know what they can uh, get into. We
5: don't have these guys can add on to that. We don't have too much to say about them yet. We're still kind of playing around with the recipes, playing around with the branding. But of course, we're timing B two T two B two D two with the uh, <laughs> Star Wars release. <laughs> So Otto has some really cool ideas for the packaging for that.
6: Well, I mean, I, with B2-D2, uh, we did some uh, one-off sample type homebrew beers with the entire brewing staff, and one of the brewers, is his name is Brian, and he was the second Brian back there, so we uh, affectionately referred to him as b 2 <laughs> And so his particular homebrew that he brought to the table that week for these homebrews that we did was B2-D2. We came up with the names, and he's like, yeah, I like that name, we'll do it. And so now we're bringing that name out into the forefront thanks to the new Star Wars movie coming out. And he's got a, a, a thick hand in the development of the recipe of that beer, uh, Brian Seebach. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of nice uh, when you get a chance to kind of play off of the people that are you're working with on a day-to-day basis and make something happen that way.
3: That actually brings up a good point. How much, uh, how much input to the folks in the brewery that's working for you? How much input do they actually have on the uh, the recipes?
6: Well, I think it varies d- depending on the recipe. Uh, I think a lot of it is uh, strongly led by uh, Dean, Chris, and Joe. Dean can probably speak to kind of the like the environment that they all work from.
1: Yeah, he said it just right. It's mostly me, Chris, and Joe but we are always open to idea anyone who has an idea and if a guy comes to me and he says i have more than an idea I have a full-blown recipe i want to try we'll let him try and that turns into a spawn We had that's, a, that's yeah. the original b2d2 yeah. started out that way yeah
5: we had a young he wasn't brewing yet he was working in our cellars a young man named by ryan keegan he's now brewing for us he came up with a recipe formulation for spawn 14 which we put into bombers for ferment descent festival last year it happened to be one of the expensive beers we've ever made and I think it also clogged our brew kettle a couple times so we would re- love to make this beer because people love it but we cannot yeah <laughs> it
1: was just like the hop editions. all right so to <laughs> put really this funny. in perspective hop editions for hopalicious range from 2 to 12 pounds for this beer it was like 30, 40 pounds in addition. It was ridiculous. And that was just the brew kettle, right? Was that, it was dry? The brew yeah, that was the brew kettle? Yeah, that's no. We're yeah, talking that's brew house. Just, that's just, just brew in the brew house, hoppy. yeah. Not cool. to mention dry hopping after that, yeah. It was yeah, it was clogging things and was just so wasteful. But the beer tasted great. <laughs> was, yeah, those farmers
5: were crazy. I mean people are calling here. anymore he spawn fourteen and we had sold out long before that. So kudos on him. You know, he hadn't even started brewing it.
6: Yeah, but I don't think we'd let them do any recipes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Brewers are still suffering after the uh, so, logs. Still licking our wounds.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so B2D2 is kind of dancing around some trademark names. Have you guys ever struggled or had challenges with the names? <laughs> yeah there's always challenges
6: with the names for sure uh, but you know you can at, at least in this day and age you can do some research and you can kind of get your 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 hands and your head around where you may or may not be in terms of a name being taken or what if it's taken if is it in the industry is it a different industry altogether which makes it a little easier so that's a constant battle for all of us we've had a, our own share of deep long battles which we won't specifically get into here as Dean clenches his fists in <laughs> one (laughs) (laughs) wants me to go off on this. (laughs) But uh, you know, it's just—it's I guess I guess it's the nature of the beast when you're in a, a, an exciting industry like this. When things explode, you know, sometimes you're going to get those kind of head-to-head situations, and 99 times out of 100, they're resolved amicably. And you know, that one time out of 100, and we were involved in one of those. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, you, you, you try to respect the other people's positions, even as even if you believe it's as stupid as the day is long.
3: <laughs> so, Dean, what's your perspective? <laughs>
1: I softened that. I softened yeah, it. Really it. Did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can't talk about carpet bombing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, a brewery approached us and said that um, one of our names was overlapping too much with their name, and it was complete bullshit. It really was. And we kept trying to reason with them. Like, okay, well, we'll do this. And they would say, no, you do that. And we would say, oh, okay, we'll do this. Like, no, you do that. And it went back and forth like that to the point where they just shoved us into a corner. And I remember writing Otto an email saying, damn the torpedoes, damn the cost let's go to war. Oh and we did. Just we brought, out, brought out the sawzall and yep. just went <laughs> ahead. Yeah, get the sawzall out. That's how we'll solve this. <laughs> we hired uh, trademark lawyers and they were like, why is this happening? This shouldn't be, This other brewery is insane. And the joke I always make is um, that brewery challenged us to a knife fight and we carpet bombed their village.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as our lawyers
1: were done with them, they were like, okay, we're done, let's, battle. let's stop, stop. And at the tail end of that... We it, come it, to an uh, agreement though. Yes.
6: And <laughs> as contentious as those kind of situations were, and they, they really were, uh, this is just scratching the surface. But I will say this, is that at the end of it, it all ended up with tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees with a thousand dollar payment and the acknowledgement that they had defended their trademark. So after tens of thousands of dollars of legal fees on both sides, they could have just approached us at the beginning and said, hey, let's do a little kerfuffle here back and forth and then we're gonna ask you to just a nominal amount this is a lesson for everybody in this industry mm-hmm. including us if we were to ever get in that position where if it's if it's the same name you got to defend it literally if sure. the name is Otto and I get it but if you think it's somewhat similar. Could you really find some common ground? Save your money for, I don't know, uh, tanks, <laughs> beer, raises for the hard people in the brewery. Could, could we just all agree on that? So, I mean, there's all these different types of situations, but it, at the end of it, it ended in a nominal payment to recognize that they had defended their trademark and I was like, we could have just done this at the beginning. We would have cut you a check and we would have all been able to pay for three yeah. tanks. It was insane. Not to
0: mention the time and
6: energy. Oh yes. my goodness, yes. yeah. Just- Pro-
4: Pro tip in the end, only the lawyers win. Yep, yes, every
6: time. Yes, every time. And even it, it, there are breweries that share the same name. Okay, guess what? The consumer is not that stupid. The whole thing about trademark law is is it going to be confusingly similar? You could have two beers with the same name right next to each other, and the consumers are intelligent. They'll figure it out. So, this concept that, oh, well, we own this, come on, man, just get over yourselves. It's not that big a deal. This is beer, it's fun.
4: All right, so as we wrap up here, uh, why don't you tell our listeners uh, how they can find you, uh, what are your hours, and when do you have tours?
5: (laughs) So where can you find us? You can find us at 2002 Pancrat Street near the airport in Madison, Wisconsin. We are off of International and Packers Avenue right outside the airport. We do have the Asylum Seeker on our website that will allow you to search for our beer via your zip code and what brand preference you have what i believe what packaging preference you have and also what kind of craft beer outlet you want to seek asylum at but most craft beer bars and liquor stores and grocery stores in the state of wisconsin illinois will carry us and soon to be twin cities area september 23rd ferment descent 2017 held in the brewery and tasting room live music games that benefit the united way of dane county and a whole lot of fun. Definitely cheers. get
3: your tickets now. Cheers,
5: and thank you so
3: much. All right, absolutely. So it, it looks like we're we're out of beer for the moment, so uh, we're going to have to wrap up the podcast, guys. So uh, for me, for Alex.
4: I'm Jim. Andy. Cheers. Dean. Cheers. cheers. way And
5: yeah. Otto. Hi. <laughs> <All right.
1: laughs> cheers, everyone.
3: For all of us here at the Tap takeover podcast, cheers. That's the, the solid good. non-fail podcast.
0: Cheers. That should be the cold opener.
1: All
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> all right awesome interview guys ale asylum one of my favorites and it's just awesome hearing what they uh, had to say and it was i just felt like i was there it was really cool but we're obviously continuing the tasting alex what do we got here
3: so this is the impending descent D e s c e n t. now this is the russian imperial stout which has spent an entire year in the tank just aging away, gaining flavors, gaining layers of flavors. I'm a big fan. <laughs> right right off the bat, I'm a big fan. The, the chocolate notes and the, the roasty notes are really coming at me. But this isn't the only beer available at the festival, which is upcoming. So, Jim, why don't you give us a little bit of a lowdown on what our fans can expect?
4: Yeah, so there's uh, not only the impending descent, there's also the impending descent, uh, which is going to be a Belgian style imperial stout
3: and that is descent d-i-s-s-e-n-t so you a little, are correct little play on words there between descent as in a descent into madness and dissent, as in showing uh disdain for uh authority
4: figures yeah so this is uh very similar to almost kind of dark lord day over at uh three floyds they got the release of their biggest beers a lot of bands playing Otto was a lead guitarist for uh, a very popular band uh, back in the day, and so it's really going to come together in this festival.
2: Well, let's speak on this beer. Like I I just love the punch in the face in the beginning and then the smooth on the tail end. Just, just a really good beer, I guess. Andy, what do you think?
0: Like Dean is, it's true to style. It's just a straight forward stout that's been aged in tank for a year it really mellows it out
4: yeah yeah you get a lot of the licorice that you get in a traditional russian imperial stout that is generally masked a lot when it's aged in bourbon barrels
0: yeah
3: and i think he said it the right way andy it's true to style you know just the way the dean does it he's a bit of a style nazi but he, he does it with such efficiency that you, you can't fault the man for it it's it's pretty darn good stuff and what he does venture out he does it in a very well thought out way which is uh i don't know as, as a beer drinker i'm, I'm a a big fan of ale asylum and what they're doing anytime that i get out of milwaukee and i head out to madison it's a it's an absolute must stop whether i'm stopping at the brewery or i'm stopping at the liquor store and uh, i even stop at the location here in milwaukee from time to time so who else has some thoughts on the beer here this is it's a big boy it's coming in at uh, 10.5% you know, which is well well within our aging guidelines that we like to tell people eight to eight plus percent is is ageable. This is well into that, so I've laid this one down about a year. It's it's taken on some nice notes. I don't know if I would lay this down much longer. No, um,
2: I wouldn't. No no, no,
4: no, this is ready to drink now. Um, if you're a fan of a, a traditional RIS, which. It's hard to find anymore these days, right? I mean, it's hard to find a very traditional beer anymore. Uh, this is something you got to get pick up at the uh, festival this year.
3: So, if you have a chance, get out to Ferment a Scent. And if you're in the area in Wisconsin and Milwaukee, look for the bottles on the shelves if they happen to have any more. And other than that, I I, I think we're just about out of beer here, guys. So we're going to leave you with our last thoughts there on Ferment to Scent Festival. And we just want to let you know we've got a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. So just a, as a little bit of housekeeping here at the Tap Takeover Podcast, you can expect some amazing episodes coming up and some more videos. If you like the videos from Firkin Fest, we're going to have some more video work. Check out our videos coming out in the next few weeks, uh, talking about some big interviews that we're going to be doing. And make sure to reach out to us at taptakeoverpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks Thank you for joining us at the Tap Takeover podcast. A solid non-fail production. Cheers boys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.